Hey, I'm Paul Ford. And I'm Rich Ciotti. You're listening to Track Changes, the official podcast of Post Light. Rich, what's Post Light? A New York City-based digital studio where we build uh, platforms and apps and really cool, innovative stuff. Get in touch if you want to do something crazy. Send us an email, contact at postlight.com. That goes to Rich and me both so that if you have any questions, we'll be sure to see it. And any questions and and issues you have with this podcast, you just get in touch the same way. Contact at postlight.com. Yep. Rich, today, this morning, I woke up and an article went out and it's in Gizmodo, which is a Gawker property. Mm -hmm. And it's by Sophie Kleeman. Okay. And it's called, Here's What Happened to All 53 of Marissa Meyer's Yahoo Acquisitions. It's a long article. Yeah. It's a thorough article, but basically the gist of it is that very few of those had an outcome separate from they shut it down and the employees went to work for Yahoo. Yeah. Now, before we get into this, it's really easy and morbidly satisfying to point out the failures, if you want to call them failures, of big, powerful media figures, CEOs, and the like. So I don't know what I'm getting at here. I I just want to acknowledge that it's just fun to do. Well, I mean, we have to look, you know, everyone now likes to beat up on Meyer, but I mean, this is one of the more successful business people, entrepreneurs, and business leaders of the millennium. Yeah, exactly. So she's she's done well in the past. Things that make Google Google are her work. Yeah. And you could argue that there is no human being walking the earth who was going to step into Yahoo and turn it into this incredible turnaround story. Here's what's tricky. I mean, let's talk through a few of them. And I I sort of have a pattern. I have one I want to focus on, but go ahead. Is that Sumley? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Yeah. But I mean, let's just pick one at random. A lot of these I've never heard of. So yeah, me too. Rondi. Okay, this is directly from the article. It was a conference calling service. It was acquired June 2013, R-O-N-D-E-E. It stopped accepting new users. It stopped giving users access to old data. And it noted the team would be joining Yahoo Small Business Team. So that's just a classic aqua hire. Well, that's the thing. For a lot of these, the shutting down isn't necessarily failure. Because Yahoo has a lot of money, right? It needs to get... And it's trying to get talent. Mobile talent. It's in an environment where it's not the sexiest place to work. In fact, it's probably sixth or seventh on the list. There's, you know, all the other top tier names and hot startups. If it's competing with startups, it's 50th on the list. It's 50th. If you're going to line up startups, exactly. So... You know, they needed a means to get people in the in the door. And this was a way to do it. So when you see, I mean, that's that's what I think is a little unfair about this article is that a lot of these are shutdowns and they're shutting them down because that's exactly what they wanted well, to it's do. Not they even wanted un- to shift the talent it's over. It's not unfair. It's just cataloging the, what was in there. Yeah. Right? You know, and there's a thing that goes on with aquahires too, which, you know, everyone talks about aquahires and kind of rolls their eyes at them. But what you're filtering for is someone who can actually ship a freaking product. When you hire these people, you're yeah. looking at them and you're going, whatever you did here to get this out the door, I need you to come to us and do it. Because yeah. I can't As a get... team often. Yeah. Like, hey, guys, stay together. We're not going to really mess. Like it, I think it's you're really asking for trouble if you grab 20 people through an aqua hire and then 
break them up into little pieces and send them off to different teams within your organization. Yeah, I don't know if I don't know how they do that, but that's totally true. That the high-performing teams in engineering, in very very talented engineers, we focus on them a lot, and people talk about rock star programmers and ten-time engineers and all that. Mm. But the absolute focus of this business, the thing that really, really matters is building the cohesive team. Because there's another, there's a lot of fantasies. Like, let's get one full stack guy who's like a good programmer who can also design, who will build everything for us. That's, a, that's, a, that's an illusion. You know, and, and, and people have these fantasies that these people are going to show up and work on their crappy projects and, and deliver them. The reality is that in the world of actually shipping software, teams starting at like, four people to like 12 people after that actually it, it starts to break apart again but yeah these like cohesive groups of human beings who have a demonstrated ability to actually like get the app in the app store yeah like so that someone can download it and use it and it, yeah. it's, it sounds really dumb to just say it that way but the number of things that can keep that from happening is like thousands yeah totally so if i'm marissa Mayer and i realize that i'm not i don't have the the volume of of movement. I don't have the like. I'm not shipping that many apps. Yeah, I'm gonna just see if I can get whatever I can get in where that's what they know how to do. Yeah, exactly. And that's what you see with. I think just about every one of these got shut down. I mean, that's just what happens. Some were strategic. It's worth noting. Obviously, the biggest example is Tumblr. Tumblr was not for the people. And that uh, was a piece of traffic that they couldn't get through Yahoo Mail or through that was Yahoo the thinking. News. It was yeah. gonna be, this was their step forward as a modern internet media brand. I don't know a lot about how to gauge success of that particular one. That's a billion dollar Well, what's a good... You had a company that was acquired. But it was an acquire. You were company. an acquire. Yeah. So what happened there? That actually, that one went well. Because okay, so they that didn't was your, fold us into a larger group where we melted away. That uh, was your agency, Arc90. That's when correct. I got to know you. You were running an agency called Arc90. It was about 30 people, 25? About 30 plus people. Okay. And we were acquired and folded in and pretty much named the product and tech group. Okay. So they just said like, all right, this is yours now. Yes. And you got a job. You I had, had a job. Which I was, was? I was chief product officer okay, so for that got, company. And it... More or less worked. There were some pains because it was obviously a new environment and new demands on what it was expected. It was it was a change for us, but overall it worked mostly. Well, I, I can tell you actually. I mean, I, I knew you throughout this process. What was working? You were named chief product officer, and, and it was basically like we want to make these things. And you went, okay, these are the things you could ship. Yeah. And it was about music and music streaming. So yeah. A big platform called Beatport, and you ha- you knew how the team worked. Having watched you work for a while before we started this agency, you were very good at managing up. This is a critical thing, like managing up versus managing down, right? You were man- you were able to deal with the executives in the company who were coming to you with revenue goals and various kinds of demands. Yep. And you would filter those demands and turn them into goals for the product. I have to tell you, I mean, that was most of my job. Some of my job was like, well, okay, that was crazy, right. Mr. Executive. And he'll say, go tell your team, I want this, and I want it next Thursday. And I knew, the, I knew the person is extremely busy. This isn't the most important thing on their mind. And it was bananas. And I really didn't even want to have the fight. And I would say something vague like, all right, let me go discuss this with the team. And, then it's- <laughs> and I would literally not bring it up with the team. Right. Like, I'm saying this now 
I've since left that company, but it was an impossibility. It would have been nothing but distraction and anxiety. And that was most of my job, frankly, absorbing that kind of incoming, sometimes translating it, sometimes deflecting it. Sometimes it never, oftentimes it didn't reach the team. And that was the majority of my job. One of the things I realized is I have come along in my career and, and seen how things really work is that executives for the most part function as filters, right? Like you have a team that's underneath you and it's not necessarily like they're underneath is almost the wrong, wrong word. Like there's a whole lot of stuff coming at you and people who are very demanding at the high level of a corporation mm-hmm. and often genuinely difficult people, mm-hmm. and depending on the structure of a company. Some companies are set up so that people fight. Like yeah. sometimes CEOs like put people at, at odds Purposely. in the same room. Yeah. You know, that's the sort of like the Abraham Lincoln, like well, that's a real thing. rivals. Uh, yeah. And you, you just go like, all right, well, you know, they don't get along, but I need them both and we're going to let it, we're going to let them hash it out. Yeah. Now, if that stuff starts to filter down to your team, it's incredibly toxic and everybody quits. Because your average, like your average, like product manager slash not average, but even yeah. a, a really good product manager needs to be focused on the product, not on the changing it's dynamics. Also so delicate. I mean, you've got very particular skill set of skills here between designers and engineers and whatnot. You need the gears to lock in and sort of turn calmly together, and then you have this this bananas games and politics that are just swirling around them and it does nothing but harm it does not work see what i what i see with the engineering culture is people talk a lot about how is the office set up do people have quiet spaces to work yeah same with designers same with product managers like they talk a lot about space and control and can i choose my own tools right like that's that's how on the kind of on the ground how people talk about this problem because what's happening is all this stuff is landing on them and they're feeling that they're losing control. Yeah. And that's always to me the sign it's it's rarely like we have an open office but it has a ton of conference rooms. Yeah. People seem to be pretty happy with that arrangement. Like it's like I put on my headphones if I need some quiet time to work they, there's always a space to go work and and on and on. Like I think people have a genuine sense at our company that they have control over their own environment. Yeah. And that they can say no to things if they feel that the client is asking for something that, and I don't want to say is insane, the client just doesn't know what it yeah. takes to get stuff done. It's our job to help them. Yes. And, and the, you know, these are, high, these are all high-functioning people that are problem solvers and creatives. That, like, you're not asking them, hey, look, I need you to make 300 boxes today, not 200 boxes. Like, that's just not the nature of what we do. A lot of what, what, what we do is sort of frame this broader goal, and then you've got really smart people who are solving a thousand problems along the way to get there. You got to leave them alone. You got to protect them so they can do that. Like you can't come barreling it. There is nothing. Sometimes I have an opinion about a design issue that I've seen in a comp or or a prototype or whatever. There are a few things that make me more uncomfortable than me grabbing the team or a couple of people from the team to give that feedback. You know, this it's is one terrible of terrible feelings. It's one of the things I've learned with you starting this company is that I thought I would have much more direct control over outcomes. Yeah. I thought I'd be able to, I, I just figured that, oh, okay, well, we have all these people. If I see something, I can just be like, hey, do this. That's incredibly disruptive. Right. Right. At some level, our job as the co-founders of Postlight is to protect some of the people in the company from ourselves. Yeah, totally. Not not to blow up their world. Can you imagine if I swooped in with a red pen and just like, hey, you know, I'm not feeling that. Let me explain to you why you're wrong here. And it's very. And I may have that feeling. I just. 
you have to defer and trust. And look, I think without that structure in place, you don't get great work. You don't get even good work. In That's my the experience. thing, like you and me going in there and being like, I see these 10 problems. Yeah. It means the work actually freezes up and everybody's like, is this okay? And, yeah. you know, and then suddenly they're trying to please us instead of getting better at their job. Exactly. So, exactly. And I think what you have, you know, we're going through this list of 500 startups that she or companies that she's acquired. I would guess that at the core of a Yahoo is actually internal mayhem. Like she was bringing these acquisitions into, my guess is, a highly political power grab type of environment. Look, I think any organization at that scale under that kind of stress is that. There's a, that's the word, is stress. Like, yeah. this is a company that's under stress. If Yahoo right? was incredibly, like, running really well every day and hitting all of its KPIs and the market was You're happy right. and with you it. And you know Group C is just killing it with that mandate that was given to them. And you just make sure they're left alone. And exactly. all see, that. It just wasn't that, right? See, what I'm trying to get at, too, is, like, I think that a lot of business coverage is really in, a, like, a winner-loser story. Yeah. But Yahoo is just, it's in a situation. It has still... More viewers on it for a given product than anything I'll ever work on in my life. Like right. In a exactly, day. Right? Like, exactly. This is one of the most phenomenally successful large global media brands that exists ever. Right. And we talk about it. it just it's in the bad part of town and just yeah. the context is failure. Well, them. we talk about it like we're talking about like a band that put out a bad album. It's right. a different kind of organism. Right. And it's global and it's weird. So so these acquisitions come in. I'm not even specifically talking about Yahoo. I'm talking about just sort of culture in general. Like it's really hard because not only do they come in, but then someone needs to shepherd and care for them and make sure that they have that filter. See, what was weird about the acquisition of your company is that you became chief product officer. You are not a startup kid. Like you're not someone who was 27, had been yeah. programming, and then got themselves into a management role, felt very talented, was very talented, shipped their product, got it right. You were someone who'd worked with very difficult clients for 10 years. Yeah. You had a legal degree, and you were uh, in every way kind of a grown-up. Yeah. I'll tell you a backstory. I asked for that title, not because I needed glory, because that really, in my career path, it never really mattered. It's because I needed to have like real weight and I knew I needed to protect the team. And the other thing I asked for was to report to the president of the company because then I knew I could definitely, because there was going to be all kinds of, def as you go down the seven layers. Oh, whenever, whenever you hear the word dotted line, quit your job. Yeah, exactly. Like I knew there was going to be all these pings coming at me because they were acquiring yeah. a lot of things. And oh, and people are like, well, you're going to report to Mike, but there'll be right. a dotted line to the president. You just, I had a list of names of people that wanted to see my group fail. Sure. Like that was that that actually existed in the company. And so I needed that that leverage to protect them. And and again, it's making it making it sound like I'm protecting my little piglets. That's not what's at play here. It's just to just to get done to really ship something. Like that was why we were bought well, and I wanted to ship the thing. Like I did not I, I tell you the outcome I really didn't want to have happen was us getting acquired and people talking about how, wow, that was a failed decision. No, you wanted to ship your software. I wanted to ship my software. And, and it took time and we needed to be left alone to do it. And left alone is a 
big deal in a company that's growing you know, fast where there's a lot of power swirling around. You literally had an air gap. Like the corporate headquarters was here and your office where everybody was working was about eight blocks away. It was eight blocks away and that those eight blocks were a thousand miles. Well, that's In New York City, eight blocks is forever. Yep. No one's going to go eight blocks. No. They, I mean, we had... Unless there's like a visited. really good restaurant in the bottom of the bottom of the building, <laughs> the building. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're never coming over. Exactly. There. Yeah. I mean, this is the human. Humans are going to mess stuff up, man. That's just how it goes. And then as you, companies get bigger and bigger, the scale of disaster is incredible. What you're seeing is that there's competing imperatives, and that the job of the higher, higher, highest management is to get the competing imperatives worked out so that even if people hate each other, they're kind of moving in one direction. Yes, yes. Right, and that's that's literally, that is the story of every president that the media tells. Like, can the president of the United States get his insane herd of wild animals that is his cabinet yeah. to yeah. line up and do their stuff? So Yahoo makes these acquisitions. Most of them are acquihires. They come in, and what you sense, and I, you know, we saw this earlier with, Flickr had like a couple good years at Yahoo and then just started to kind of drift away. Yeah. And it, it's just something about that organization can't lock talent down. See, here's the thing I see with Yahoo is that I think it's just a media company. Like I look at it, and I'm like, okay. Well, it became that, right? Like they'd hire Katie Couric and yeah. then they were about the content, not about the tech. And, and, and it's, it's executing this huge technology strategy. Yeah. And what it reminds me of is when we work with legacy media companies that are struggling to build big tech platforms, mm -hmm. they make acquisitions like this. They do things like this to just try to ship. Yeah. And they run up against the wall over and over again yeah. in the same way. So it's almost like Yahoo was a pure tech company from the early days. It was. And then it kind of fell into being a media company, meaning that it would put up pages and then sell advertising on right. those pages. And it got into making its own TV shows and, and all this stuff. And it, it had this great sales team. Yeah. And, and then it was decided to turn it back into a tech company. That's the killer, right? Like you have probably a particular trajectory around a media company, whether it be, I don't know, 12% growth or whatever. Like it's a media company and it's doing well and it's a media company. It just happened to be in a neighborhood. And to have a legacy. And happened to have a legacy where it decided that if we go get a Google executive we're going to be a tech company. And, and not just any, like, you know, it's everyone's beating up on her now, but that is a proven human being. Yeah. Her role was critical from a design perspective, from a UX perspective to Google's success. Now, the thing I've always been skeptical about is a brilliant UX mind doesn't necessarily know how to drive a large conglomerate. It's like a large business. Like, it's a particular brain. It's a particular lunatic. But she's not just UX. She was, actually was like Stanford AI. Yeah, but that's not business. Well, I, I know, in my mind. Here's what I would say. What we, what we knew about her from Google is that she could build really, really high-performing, effective teams inside of the positive growth environment at Google. But let's not like sit here and pick her apart. No, let's yeah, talk about, I do think she talk gets about Sumley. I think she gets a bad rap. I actually do. I think she get. I think oh, she's I think in she a pretty unfair too. position. I think it's a running joke. There's at this too point. many. And also, there's just too much optics around her. Like, yeah, I mean the holiday party where she was like Queen Victoria and all that. It just got weird. It just that is this funny. is weird. But yeah, right. Uh, they spent like millions of dollars on a party where everybody dressed up in costumes or whatever. But, yeah, and you can have your picture that's fun. Taken like, I mean, what else is Gawker going to write about? Thank God that party happened. It's true. Right. Well, not not much anymore. So acquisitions. 
you've been actually asked to evaluate a lot of acquisitions. A lot, in your yeah. Life. It's one of the things people call us quite a bit, actually, to say, to "Will look you at, will you come look at a company?" Yes. What do you What do you look for? Well, I first ask, "Why are you doing it?" Okay. Are you getting the users? Are you getting a domain name? Are you getting a business that has revenue, right? And park all those aside. Then there are ones that are like, "Well, I'm going to get a head start on the code." Okay, I'm going to get some. I'll buy this company. I'll get some. Pro, yep. I'll get some software that only they have, and that's going to save me time as I get to market with my big idea. That's right, and that is a very particular exercise to dig into that code to see how costly it's going to be to untangle it. Well, do you have to untangle it? How clean is it? Can you build on it? Because a lot of times, like you know, I want to save six months on this, Rich. If I just buy this thing, I'll just have a great head start. Have you ever or deputized anyone to go look at a code base and they've come back and they've gone, this is great? Not this is great. It's really unusual, right? Like yeah. Most assets are not well-structured. Most assets of- are not well-structured. If yeah. there's a particular component that does something pretty unique that clearly has years of thinking and tweaking baked into it that's unusual that's i mean actually what i what i see is very little software and very little code is actually of tremendous value domain knowledge wrapped up in code or in database schemas is super valuable that could be the value here's the edge cases around taxation in the bahamas that could be the value you know it's like that's right often the code is it's often just this diary yeah it's grown over time of pain and struggle and compromise and uh and denial and, and usually when you're <laughs> asked how i would describe and when you get asked to evaluate this stuff it's always very monolithic you know it's, it's not often like broken monolithic. into like nice components exactly and it's just it's just people are trying to get something done right and yeah you know it's just hard and and look i also have to be wary of the fact that if you ask an engineer to look at any other engineer's stuff there's a particular anxiety engineers are not neutral <laughs> engineers are not they, neutral. they say they pretend <laughs> exactly. to be neutral they're exactly. not neutral. they're just not neutral so rich yes do you want to talk about sumley you know i was th- <sighs> all right so here's the backstory with sumley i you watch people raise money and start you know yeah he's starting a company and he's raising money and there's this guy who started it i think his name is nick dialozio or something and he was like 14 when he started it. He's yep, very, very young. Uh, no yeah. joke. I'm not even, Four, I don't think, I think 14 he was or 15. 14 or, yeah. or 15. And he'd raised money and we couldn't gather what he did because the thing I think never made it out. I think there was a video and there was a pitch and he had this incredibly arrogant sort of squinty well so you're sitting here making fun of a 14 year old for not 14 year old for not building a great enough startup pretty much you're the worst person i've ever i met. might be the worst person I've ever. so i like it became a running joke i sort of struggled with this. i remember when i first met you this is like one of the only things you could talk about I, I can only speak talk about this and then within six months yahoo bought it there you go and i just i think he was 17 at that point Maybe he was 17, whatever it was. And it was a huge, it's like the, one of the early acquisitions. Yeah, and, and there was, it was news around Stephen it. Stephen Fry was involved was somehow. A, and, he yeah. had apparently created, I actually remember the technology. He created technology that read an article and then wrote a paragraph. Summarized it. 
It automatically summarized the article. And it was not good. You didn't think it was good. I thought the summaries were weird. I mean, obviously, it's a really hard problem. It's it's one of the hardest problems. Credit to him for trying to even do that. But I think the bigger issue was they had bet like everything on this thing. Like they, it became, I think, Yahoo something, Yahoo News or... Yeah, they, they made a product Yahoo Digest. I forget the name of it. But the thing is, it didn't take. Okay. Yahoo had this theory that we were no longer... We we're just going to look at pictures in like one sentence at a time. Everybody just gives up on everything. They're just like, ah. <laughs> that was their thinking. It's like, we're just going to... They're just... Nobody wants to read anything. Just going to scroll through stuff. That's the end of life. Like this is how it, this is how it ends. And so they bought this, and it failed. Yahoo News Digest. That was the name of the Was product. that the name of it? Yeah, and it would, it would give you the news in like little tiny... Um... There were a few startups who were trying this, by the way. Circa, I think, was another one. There were a few who were trying to sort of boil down news. So if something was 600 Circa, words... Circa was different, though. It wasn't robots. It was people it was behaving people. as robots. And behaving would, as robots. They would take news, and they would take news from sources, and then they would cut it into little tiny chunks, and you'd swipe. And it was the guy who made Path. Like, it had that really it beautiful interface. A nice, creative approach to things. And it was, it was essentially, you don't want to read anything ever again. So here are 11 words. Why is it that Silicon Valley is very into telling us how to read? It's really into that. Like it wants to tell us that like we're wrong about articles. Silicon Valley is into telling us how to do, do everything. everything. Like how, right? how be- yeah. It wants you us know? to like have certain kinds of bowel movements at this point. Exactly. It's There's definitely a, really into what we eat. It wants to change positively, obviously, in all, in most of the business I think plans it's annoying about. To- I think it's annoying to product people that humans aren't robots. I think it's actually kind of a pain in the ass. Be, of course. We're unpredictable. We're annoying. Look we're, at that guy out on the street raising his hand to try to stop an automobile to take him somewhere. Yeah. How ridiculous if he's got a phone in his pocket. This is stupid. This is stupid. He is a, he is a flesh commodity yeah. that we could put into the yeah. backseat of a nice Subaru. Look, look at that woman calling a restaurant to place an order and then taking her credit card out every time. It's just friction. Phone calls, talking to another human being who would rather be cooking the fish. Yeah. Instead, he's got to get on the phone, get a piece of paper out to take this order. Ridiculous. I love, because, you know, that's the thing. I mean, my core thesis, if I ever started a venture capital firm, which I swear to God, I never will. Yeah. But the core thesis I have is the way that things work on the internet is if you see something and you go, that is probably the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Which is what people said about Twitter. That's what they said about Facebook. Yeah. That who that, is gonna do that? Yeah, who Who's is gonna, gonna do that? It's crazy, but it's somehow surfaced to your attention. Yeah. That's when you need to start paying attention. Yes. It, it, and that doesn't indicate that it's gonna like I don't want to be like there's some magic counterintuitive thesis. Yeah. It's just that most of the things that end up like just completely blowing up the world yeah. are at first things where everybody goes, That's the most horrible thing I've ever seen. You may be right. Yeah. We just can't process how that's going to change how we think. I remember with Twitter, it was just like, oh, this is just, blogging is going so well, which was wrong. And we were like, oh, this is just gross. Yeah. And then here we are. Yeah. Or Facebook was like, who's that even for? It's just- Colleges. Yeah. It'll stop at colleges. Yeah. Yeah. All of these things. And Uber, same thing. It's like, oh, come on, man. It's just, I I know how We're sounding like grumpy old men again. A little bit. We're I, also I'm we have a digital studio in New York City. No, no, but I'm actually we not. We are very into disrupting how people currently live. But I'm not saying this is us. Yeah. I'm saying this is collectively. Like the minute I saw Uber, I'm like, yeah, obviously. Like, yeah. honestly, too, the Uber idea had been around for a while. Like, yeah. the, it, they just nailed it. They just they nailed the execution. Like Uber is not the innovation right. of like 
getting a cab with your phone, I don't know who had that idea first. What Uber is famous for is its relentless, brutal execution on an enormous idea at global scale. Yeah, like that, they want to be big. They hired the best scary people they could yeah. and lots of lawyers, and they got their way a lot of times, and they built excellent technology that pretty much always works. Yeah, it's good. It's good product. But what it does is it emphasizes everything about Uber works really, really well, yeah. except humans are involved. Yeah, well, we're working on that. Yeah, no, if we we'll could... continue to cut that out of the process. Once they can get those drivers out, man, that is a killer company. I think they're going to be bartenders. I think the drivers are just going to be bartenders. You get in there and be like, hey, Mr. Ziade. Yeah, can I get an old-fashioned? Yeah, of and course then, you can. Yeah, yeah and then yeah, you'll yeah. just make it. You don't need to drive the damn car. The hell with that. Yeah, no, that's great. Perfect. All right, so we look at these companies, and we're not really looking at the people. We're looking at the assets for the most part. Yeah, which is really the wrong thing to look at. Probably should look at the people The success more. of an acquisition is often driven by how the people fold in and how they lock in. But that's very hard when people ask you to... The about- success of just about everything... Is that is the human <laughs> see? But this is tricky, right? Because when companies want to acquire another company and they come to us for advice, yeah, they're very nervous about exposing us to the humans because then it's gonna that's gonna be a whole range of tricky oh, of dynamics. Of course, of course. So what they want us to do is look at the stuff, yeah, and then is, make decisions based on that, which is not gonna tell the whole story. And really, obviously. what they should do is just set up a series of twenty minute meetings yep. between us and, and the team, and yep. then also let us look at the code and ask questions. Exactly. But that is politically dangerous yeah there's a quote that i don't even i keep saying my old law professor said it i don't even know anymore if he actually did say it i think i've said it before on the show the right thing is easy unfortunately people are involved yeah it is it is it's very tricky it's that's what you're navigating i mean that's product right like that's building digital anything yeah it'd be great everything works beautifully as long as human beings don't if they would just show up at like a regular regularly scheduled moment because they don't just bring themselves they bring their father with them and the issues they have with their father i think about this and you... the issues they have with their brother who's way more successful and seems more buttoned like if people oh. would just like stick to a schedule you could serve the entire entirety of humanity with like 12 computers <laughs> right. uh, you're just like oh yeah i checked my email like, right. it doesn't it exactly. doesn't actually take that much it's just that we all we flock yeah we have problems we write too much in the box right yeah and we have our dad issues exactly that's the title for the podcast. Dad issues. Daddy issues. <sighs> so we, we, we're, we're going to just have a good time making fun of Yahoo, but we actually drifted into a discussion about humans. Well, and acquisitions. You and know. that's okay. Oh, well. Look, uh, if Yahoo wants to acquire us, they should definitely get in touch. They- <laughs> <laughs> we're open to we're still we're open. open to discussions, uh, but but that for right now everything's going real well. Yeah. Let's uh, let's not I'll, you know I don't want anyone to hear that and get anxious. <laughs> um, well, Rich Ziade, this has been track changes. Always a pleasure, Paul. For always a pleasure, Rich. Let's get back to the office and get some work done. Let's, let's go do things. Let's go build things. Track changes is the podcast of Postlight, and we'd love to hear from you. I, and that, that's not just like not just for marketing purposes. We've just been say getting, hi. Yeah, we've been getting great emails. We've been getting yeah. lots of feedback. We've been getting really interesting criticism. We're going to wrap that up on a, uh, and put that into a show real soon. Yep. And uh, anything we can do to help you, if you're looking for work, if you're looking to get us to do some work, get in touch. Contact at postlight.com. Thank you for listening to Track Changes. Bye-bye.